The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Your salvation, we need it now. God, even, even those of us who by faith have come to you and are certain that, that forever we will be with you, God, we don't want to uh, be uh, ineffective in our lives. We don't want to be uh, knocked off track in any way. God, we know that, that right now your eternal love is available to us to enjoy and to give to others. There's probably uh, so many reasons we could say that could keep us from being joy-filled, being hopeful, being fully faithful. Um, And yet, God, I pray that you will just today as we see the story of Mary and all her disadvantages that turned into joy because she was a believer, I pray that we will learn from her story and we'll be faithful also. God, I pray that your spirit will teach us this morning. We praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So second week into our sermon series, Seeing is Believing. And uh, I feel like we need this because most of what we see every day probably discourages belief rather than encourages believing. And so we're going to be looking at four different uh, characters in that first Christmas story We're going to see what doubts they brought to the table and what believing did to transform those doubts into a really radical faith when we consider the the circumstances they were living in. So this is our intro. God promised for thousands of years that a savior would be born. Then we waited. Days, weeks, months, and years came and went with no sign of his coming. It became harder and harder to believe that God was telling the truth. And then it happened. The promise was fulfilled. There in the manger for the whole world to see was Jesus, their foretold king. These four weeks of Advent, we invite you to see the promise of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus and believe. So Christmas... Christmas we know and love is about the coming of Jesus. Um, Christmas has also been made about many other things, good and bad. And and one of those things is, for many, the annual taking of a Christmas picture for the family. And if there's one way to find out really what is the makeup of your family, it is the act of taking an annual family Christmas picture. Like, you could look like in that picture at the end of it an ideal family, but you know through the process of it, every person's weaknesses, right? It's hilarious and sometimes tragically sad what comes out of a family's heart. It is hilarious and pitiful how oftentimes husbands act as if it's their gift to their wife to take the picture, like, I'm doing this for you, <laughs> I know, Hannah's back there like, that's you. Uh, you know, it, it's as if we're gathering and, and what is in our hearts is coming out, right? Instead of me coming and be like, you know, I love to be a part of this. 
I'm just so glad to be represented in this family. I, you know, Hannah comes back and shares uh, stories of taking family pictures for, and people are paying her lots of money. My, my wife is not a cheap photographer. She's worth more than what she charges, but when, when people are, are paying lots of money, they're literally, they're telling their kids, like, I'm going to take your iPad away if you don't, you know, <laughs> for the next week, no video games. You know, and, and back in the day, it was just, I'm going to beat you. And, and now, I don't know, it's changed to your iPad. Uh, but, you know, these kids who hopefully someday will look at these and be like, man, weren't those sweet years? We're just trying their darndest to ruin that experience. Family, pictures, this is what often is, <laughs> is the things that are surrounding, really actually capturing maybe the, the nature of the season. Very rarely is that ideal picture of a family really what is happening, really what the actuality is. And if that is your story, in any extent, if, if your family is one that like, you know, you, you can figure it out with the family photo or one that you're like, I disdain standing by this person. There is something in Mary's story that we are looking at today that we'll, you'll relate with, I think. that Mary, by no means, came from an ideal family. She, by no means, came from an ideal or picturesque place. And that's what we see here in the book of Luke. So I'm just going to read you the story that we get in Luke. It's pretty long. Um, but as, after we go through it and you see Mary as she interacts with the angel and then she sings and all those things, I'm just going to tell you, uh, I'm going to build out kind of a picture for you about what Mary's life would have been like growing up. So Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which we heard about last week, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. God is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Blessed is she who has believed the Lord has promised, who, the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And, and this is really the first thing we've heard from Mary. You know, we, we've heard her say, how is this going to happen? We've, we've heard her simply say, I'm the Lord's servant. And then, and then we just, it's kind of this silence, right? As she goes and she travels and we wonder what's in her heart. And then she meets Elizabeth and then we get the Magnificat, this song. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then returned home. Let me tell you a little bit about what Mary's life, what shaped this little girl, as we imagine she probably was around the age of 13, what, what formed her heart, the good, the challenging, to make a, a young woman with a heart that would overflow in this way. So whatever it's easiest for you to listen to this story that I've written for you, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open. This is how it works. Mary's given name would have been Miriam. That is the name of Moses and Aaron's sister in the Old Testament. Miriam means bitter, which is an appropriate name for the difficult place in which Mary was raised. Life was not easy for Mary. She was born in a small town called Nazareth, which was situated among the southern ridges of Lebanon on the steep slope of a hill about 14 miles from the Sea of Galilee and six miles west from Mount Tabor. And I know all of you know exactly where I'm talking about. <laughs> it's a town that few people were from and fewer people would have claimed to be from. To be in Nazareth likely meant you had taken a wrong turn along the way from wherever you actually wanted to go. People had an unfavorable, unfavorable view of Nazareth. So the first surprise of our story is that this is where it's located. The community was rural and out of touch with the rest of the world. Today we would call it backwoods. It was a community of hardworking farmers and craftsmen who carried the poverty that comes from trying to make a living from rocky soil, and having what little could be grown or made taxed three ways. It was taxed by Rome, it was taxed by Herod, and what they made was also taxed by the temple. The typical family of the time would live together with extended family. And we're given reason to wonder, however, if Mary's family, her mom and dad and her, and maybe siblings moved away from their relatives to a place in the woods just to get away. Evidence for this is the distance she had to travel to be with Elizabeth or the distance they had to travel to Bethlehem. Mary's family appears disconnected and isolated. Life for Mary looks impossible to any modern American teenager. We're introduced to her around the age of 13 
and she's already carrying the full responsibility of a woman. Her weeks are relentless and unchanging. She works at home six or more hours for six days a week and then rests with her family on the Sabbath. Her work days include long trips to the community well, gathering firewood to heat and cook, preparing meals, cleaning and caring for animals, making clothes and repairing them, and much more. On the Sabbath, Mary would join her family to listen to the reading of scripture in the community synagogue. This public reading of the Old Testament and the stories told at home would have been her only education since girls would not have been educated at the time. In most Jewish towns, everyone would observe the Sabbath, but Nazareth was rumored to be far enough away from Jerusalem that Gentiles or non-Jewish influence would have made it possible that otherwise happened. We never meet Mary's parents. And this is one of the things I wrestled with most in the preaching of the sermon. We never meet Mary's parents. And I kept asking myself, why are Mary's parents not present? We don't know if they sang her psalms of David at night or if she covered her ears at night to avoid drunken screams of her father. It would be easy to picture a heart so full of God for being tucked into bed with stories of Yahweh at night, but it is also possible that Mary's faith grew like a blade of grass that miraculously breaks through concrete. I've wondered if her parents cared for her at all. After all, life in Nazareth was hard and Mary was another mouth to feed. We know that Mary left town when she received the angel's message that she, a virgin, would give birth to the Messiah. Mary chose shelter and comfort of her aunt instead of staying at home. Her stay with Elizabeth was only three months. It was Mary's first trimester and Elizabeth's last trimester, meaning that Mary stayed with Elizabeth the months that she was not yet showing her pregnancy. Perhaps she was gathering the courage and confidence to return to a very difficult situation. I've wondered if home was not safe for Mary. I think of the many youth who find their way to the coffee oasis who have been rejected by their parents or found home to be unsafe and consider that Mary could have been like them. For Mary's song, we know that she was aware of her poverty and difficult circumstances. Despite her bitter circumstances and given name, Miriam, we find her heart full of love for God. God is her constant companion in whatever life brings her way. Mary was amazed that God would choose her and elevate her, a nobody from the backwoods of Nazareth. This is Mary's story. And as you can see, there's a lot of maybes in there. There's a lot of perhapses, but I think just the absence of her parents is telling in one way or another. We don't know. But what we do know leaves room for a lot of possibilities, right? I think oftentimes it's easy for us to think of a perfect, ideal family. And the reality is, this was a scandal. The reality is it looked different than our pictures make it look. And it is extremely likely that Mary was not accepted by her parents when the news was given. Very possible. And so there's three questions we're going to ask. What made it hard for Mary uh, to believe? The second being, what did Mary experience that helped her believe or caused her to believe? And then the last being, what is the result of her believing? So what made believing hard for Mary? And I think this is really good to ask because sometimes the pictures we get of Mary is that life is kind of easy for her. And I guarantee you it was not. 
Pregnancy wasn't easy back then, okay? Most babies were lost in pregnancy. It was a scary time to be pregnant and give birth, not even given the rest of the circumstances. So Mary's life was not, was not easy. But what made this hard for her to believe? And the first thing is this, that Mary was a nobody that came from nowhere. Like, you will have to, to understand and appreciate the Christmas story, forcefully remove from your mind most of what you think about Mary. Right? These beautiful, tranquil pictures that, that present someone that is kind of austere and just, you know, like sneezes and the baby comes out. You know, that, that sort of picture, <laughs> which has just never been real, ever, uh, is, not, is not what's happening here. Mary likely went through life completely unnoticed. Nobody would have picked Mary. If you have felt like a nobody and that nobody sees you, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, this isn't that, that movie where, like, the popular guy in school finds the girl that is kind of on the outside and, like, invites her to dance at prom at the end of the movie. This isn't that story because, like, in real life, you know, that girl's actually a pop star and it's like, oh, all she needed was, like, a little makeup, right? That is not the scenario of Mary. Mary is the person nobody would have picked. God found a girl in Gorst, right? That's, that's like... Our context here is, is like, no, no, I've never heard anyone ever be like, yeah, I'm, I live in Gorst. Like, that's Nazareth. That's, that's where we would go, man, wow, that, tell me your story. How did you end up there? You know, and, but God found a girl there. You know the homes you drive by and you wonder, like, man, who lives there? That looks like a tough spot. Mary lives there. Mary is busy working there. And her heart in that place is full of God. That's Mary, okay? This nobody from, the second thing that, that we know made it difficult to believe is that she is a virgin, right? That is one of the most prominent parts of this story. Mary knows the biological limitations to what the angel is asking, right? This isn't like this antiquated time where they didn't understand and so they thought it was a miracle. No, they understood and so they thought it was a miracle, right? <laughs> Mary goes, I get how, I get how babies are made and, and that hasn't happened. So how, this is not only limiting in terms of that way, but Mary never sleeping with a man lives in a culture where that is more unacceptable than you can imagine in any other culture, Right? She comes in a culture that um, marriages were arranged, and I know you're familiar with this. Not only were marriages uh, not arranged, but it's, it's a culture where people don't understand any other way. Like, she hasn't watched any Disney movies yet, right? She doesn't know that she's supposed to rebel, rebel against her parents, right? Like, if, if she had watched, you know, like, some heroic Disney movie, she would know that that was not the way, but she did not have that. And so she probably anticipated and looked forward to the day where she could move out with Joseph because Joseph was a really good man, right? We know that from the story that, that probably moving into Joseph's house and with Joseph's family was a, really, a step in a really good direction for Mary, right? But all of a sudden, God's introduced something that would put her character and her potential marriage, this amazing step forward in her life, completely into question, which would make her challenged in believing the angel's message. Not just that it would happen, but man, how is this good? <laughs> how can you imagine this is good for me? And that's the last thing, right? Mary would, 
would have been the center of ridicule and gossip in her community. How could this be good, believable news for Mary? Those, those are all, this is the Christmas story. So how, how did she believe? What caused Mary to believe? And the first thing is this. Mary's heart is full of the word of God. We know that from where we, uh, what we read in the Magnificat. If you read through Mary's song, you can trace every line back to promises of the Old Testament, which is astounding. Mary is not a theologian. She hasn't gone to school for this. She hasn't been trained in this. But imagine this, this young girl who going to the synagogue every week or maybe hearing, picking up stories on the street or maybe a story was mentioned at the dinner table, right? Because they didn't have a Bible in their home. She would have just had to hear it and capture it. And then when God comes and speaks to Mary and then when she hears God's word coming out of Elizabeth's mouth, that promise coming, what comes from her heart is hidden words of God in her heart. So what we know about Mary, what had to be true about Mary, is that while she was working, whatever situation she was in, she was meditating on the word of God. And that made this message believable for her because when she heard the words of the angel, it was resonating with the word of God hidden in her heart. Isn't that incredible? In this potentially incredibly difficult situation, Mary's heart was just full of love for God and his word. Right? How often do we look at situations and we think no one could be happy there? No one could get ahead there? No one could be in love with God if they were in that situation? And yet we know for Mary's life that that is possible when your heart is full of the word of God and your heart's meditating on the word of God. So when the angel comes with this sort of shock and awe, Mary is ready to say this to him. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled today. God's word becomes worship when it finds a ready heart. It's our big theme today, right? God's word becomes worship when it's found in a ready heart. The second thing that helped her believe, I really think is the confirmation of Elizabeth. So we see Mary hear from the angel, this incredibly difficult news, and it's kind of terrifying because angels are pretty scary, right? Sorry for any angels listening, but, you know, like when they show up, everyone's scared all the time. They're just pretty impressive things. And so when they show, she's scared, and we don't hear a lot from her, and then she takes this very silent journey to Elizabeth. But when she meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth overflows onto her the promises of God. And she just confirms everything Mary said. And I I imagine Mary went from wrestling with these things in her heart to this overflowing faith in a moment, right? When Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her, Mary starts singing. This is what transformed Mary, from holding these things in her heart to singing songs of worship, the confirmation. I think oftentimes in our lives, we're looking for that confirmation. I think many of us have gone through times in our life 
where we are just sitting with the promises of God. It could be that something incredibly difficult has happened to you. You've lost somebody you love. Work is really hard. Someone sent you an email that is just shredding your character, whatever it is. And you are just sitting with, you're sitting with the promises of God and you're sitting with this really difficult news. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, man, I know what God says, but this is really, really hard. And all of a sudden, in your life, something confirms that God is, is alive, God's promises are true, and that's what's happening when she meets Mary, right? She's just kind of like sitting with it. God, I know what you've said and I believe you, but all of a sudden when Elizabeth speaks, it's like the, the worship, just like the dam is broken, worship comes out. And those are beautiful moments, but they oftentimes come after waiting. Waiting with something super hard. God, I know your promises. I'm not worshiping yet. I, I just, I'm wrestling with this. And God brings something into your life that just transforms it to worship, transforms that really difficult situation to worship. And what does that believing result in? It results in a song, an incredible song. Now, I, before we speak of this song, I, I want to bring in a culture context that I don't address here very often. But I, I want to address it before I read the song. So as many of you know, uh, the Supreme Court is considering Roe versus Wade right now, right? H huge landmark decision. Um, and I think as we, as we see what's happening there, and we look at the Christmas story, we see the Christmas story as being radically pro-life. And what I mean by that is we have a mother in an extremely difficult situation with a surprise birth, right? So unexpected, right? All of a sudden, she finds out she has a baby. This, she's unaware. Perhaps there has never been a more inconvenient birth. And yet here she is. She must believe and choose Jesus. Choose the baby when it is not an easy choice. It takes courage to carry a baby. It is a selfless act to carry a baby. It is an act of faith to carry a baby. Not knowing what is ahead. This is what's happening in this story. But it is a child and every child holds the hope and seed of a promise. That is the story of Christmas. If you're looking for a more pro-life message. Look to the Christmas story. A terribly hard, inconvenient birth that holds the hope of promise that a baby will be born. This is a hard story. If you're looking for me to prove the point of difficulty here, this is it. What could the result be for a doubting mother to believe to keep her child? Well, when the child is kept, when a child is kept, when any child is kept, I believe it results in a song. It takes believing to hold to the promise that this inconveniency, what appears like an inconveniency, can turn into incredibly hope. I tell you what, as a parent, you just do not know. You do not know the first baby coming out. You do not know what it's going to be like. It is scary, but when it comes, there is literally nothing better. It turns into a song. What Bonhoeffer wrote about Mary's song is this. He says, The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn 
It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This is that passionate, surrendered, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks out here. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about collapsing thrones and humbled lords of this world, about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. And this is how the song goes. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. We, we hear the humble, impoverished, challenging life of Mary in this and how by believing it turns to this overcoming, victorious, incredible woman of 13. Wow. <laughs> she says the humble state of her, your servant, that mercy would extend. She goes, God, you are on high, you are rich, you are amazing, and yet you've extended here. She talks about lifting up the humble, filling the hungry. She talks about being a servant, right? She understands who she is. And she understands that the goodness of God has found her as this nobody from nowhere. This is the Christmas story. Wow. <laughs> if we're talking about someone who had reason to doubt but shows overcoming faith. And that resulted in this incredible song and this incredible life. It's Mary. Mary reminds us that the poor and out-of-the-way people are not forgotten by God. God is always searching the world for faithful hearts. Do you feel insignificant? Have you wondered if you matter to God or anyone else? Do you struggle with the circumstances of your life? Are the circumstances of your life the perfect recipe for bitterness? Well, let Mary's story remind you that great satisfaction is available to those who believe. All you need to do is hold in your heart the promises of God spoken in Scripture. Meditate on God's Word, and when you are working or waiting for his promises to be fulfilled, you can fall in love with the God and all the ordinary and everyday situations of life. God's word will always turn worship, always turn a ready heart into worship. So what my challenge is for you this week, what my invitation is for you this week is to consider the reasons you have for bitterness 
Consider the reasons as a community or world we have to doubt God's goodness. And look at Mary's story and how God found her there. Read Mary's story and how, though we seem small and insignificant, and though the thrones and powers of the world seem huge, God is more powerful still. That's the story of Mary. And I promise you, if you hold God's word in your heart and hear his word every day, he will find incredible ways to turn your heart to worship. And you're going to see him fulfill his promises in your life in absolutely incredible ways. So I invite you into that this Christmas season. Pray with me and we'll sing some more. Oh, Father, I pray that you will find us here in Bremerton. I think so often we we think that you are more interested elsewhere. But we know from Scripture that you're just interested in those who come to worship in spirit and truth. Those who come with ready hearts, who hear your words, hold them in our hearts, meditate on them, and you'll meet us anywhere. You'll meet us in a challenging workplace or a challenging home. You'll meet us in challenging moments where we do feel isolated and alone. God, I pray that that Mary's story will give us so much confidence and faith knowing that you love coming to the least of these. You love coming to us in our times of need to show us that you are love and that you love us. To show us that Jesus really came and Jesus is really coming again. God, help us hold hold to these promises and believe in this Christmas season. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm gonna invite you to take communion with us as we continue to sing. As we take communion, we remember the night Jesus being betrayed. He took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so I invite you as you, as you go back and, and take communion from Shanice and Malia. Um, man, I, I just invite you to uh, let God seek your heart again, search your heart, see what's in it, and show you the way to himself. So please take communion with us. And I believe there will be someone praying uh, over here in the corner if you'd like to, like to join them in prayer. Thanks.